0: Hey man. Welcome back. let this,
1: this,
0: this is Kamala Harris, but um, I wanna to listen to this. This is Brian Tyler Cohen. Jack Smith drops legal bomb on Trump seven hours ago. This sounds good.
1: What if I told you there's a secret hack to get all your favorite TV uh, channels for free? were 208. Hey watching
2: the legal breakdown. Mr. Glenn, on oh the floor of receiving a target letter in the DOJ's long-awaited January 6th case. We've now got some reporting as to what the criminal statutes are listed in the indictment, and uh, there were some surprises in there. Can you discuss what they were? So wire fraud. Wait,
0: Jack hold on. Deli- I'm going to guess. Okay, lots of wire fraud, election frauds, uh, uh, threatening, threatening, the Georgia Secretary of State. Hello. And uh Reckensburger.
3: Okay.
0: And um like turning around my uh, speaker. um speaker. Hello, yes, I'm trying to guess oh man. Hello? 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 Hello, hello? Shit. Told you. Hello? Hello, hello, hello? No, oh, fuck. What's wrong? Hello? Hello? Hello, hello? Hello, hello? Shit. Hello, what's wrong with my... What's wrong with my... What's wrong with my microphone, man? Hello? 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 fuck. Hello? Hello? I had it on the side for a while. I wonder if that makes a difference. Hello? Hello? Hello. Hello, 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 hello. Oh shit. Oh. Well, just to just plug it into the other one. And now it boosts. Right. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome. Welcome. Oh, fuck. Uh, maybe the microphone.
4: Hello. Sure. To Donald Trump, telling him that he is in fact a target of the grand jury's Hello? criminal investigation into Hello? all things January 6th. Jack Smith included three crimes. Now, we should think of these crimes as almost chapters or general topic headings because jack smith ultimately will not be bound by what he put in the target letter in other words you're not going to see an indictment that has only three crimes charged this is designed to put the target of the investigation on general notice of the kind of crimes he may be liable for so the three crimes that jack smith included are One, conspiracy to commit offenses against or defraud the United States.
0: Two, uh,
4: witness tampering. We'll get back to that one in a minute. And then three, deprivation of rights under color of law. Now, that's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo there. So let me try to break those three crimes down in layman's terms. First of all, the conspiracy to commit crimes against or defraud the United States. That is exactly what it sounds like. Two or more people entered into an agreement to do wrong, to violate the laws of the United States, to defraud the United States, for example, out of free and fair elections. Interestingly, that's one of the crimes the January 6th House Committee, uh, interestingly, that's one of the crimes the January 6th House Select Committee referred to the Department of Justice for investigation and possible prosecution of Donald Trump. That is also one of the crimes that a federal judge out in California, David Carter, found by a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, that Donald Trump and one of his nefarious lawyers, John Eastman, committed. So that one was not at all a surprise. Let's move on to the second one, witness tampering. So the minute I saw that, I thought of a couple of things. One, I thought of witnesses like Cassidy Hutchinson, if you'll recall, she had a lawyer who was on Team Trump, somebody looking out for Donald Trump's best interests, not Cassidy Hutchinson's, the client's best interests. And that was early on when Cassidy Hutchinson, by her own admission, was not being completely forthcoming. But then she got rid of that lawyer, she hired a lawyer who had her best interests at heart, and she began telling the truth, including about things like crimes by Mark Meadows and Donald Trump. So was she tampered with as a witness early on? That was the first thing that came to mind. But then I took a step back and I dug into, you know, the big ugly blue book of federal laws, the United States criminal code. And I read the uh, witness tampering federal law in its entirety. And here's what people should know. Just because Jack Smith said one of the potential crimes is witness tampering, when you read that federal statute, There are more than 30 different crimes that are listed under the witness tampering statute. Here is the one that I think Jack Smith may have been referring to when he included that in the target letter. Obstructing an official proceeding. That is under the witness tampering statute and that is a crime that so many of the foot soldiers of the insurrection, the boots of the insurrection, the people Donald Trump ordered to attack the Capitol, fight like hell or you won't have a a country anymore. Now go down there and stop the certification. Stop the steal. Hundreds of them have been convicted of obstructing an official congressional proceeding. The certification of the results of the presidential election. So I think that may be what Jack Smith was signaling when he included the witness tampering statute. And then the third one was a bit of an outlier. I don't think any of us had it on our bingo card. And that is deprivation of rights under color of law. What does that mean? Well, that's a federal law under section 241 that has been used when people try to fraudulently interfere in an election. For example, there was a case involving stuffing a ballot box with fraudulent ballots, fraudulent votes. What does that do? That actually deprives all voters in that jurisdiction of the full value of their vote. Under the color of law just sort sort of indicates as a government official, as a government employee. Um, So that was a bit of a surprise, but it looks like Jack Smith determined that there's enough evidence to prosecute Donald Trump for what is basically an election fraud scheme. It probably refers to the fake electors because he and his criminal associates ended up depriving the American people of the full value of their vote. Now, at the risk of going on too long, Brian, there's one other observation I want to make about these three charges. When I looked at them, I kind of took a step back and I asked myself the question, okay, who are the victims in each of these three charges? And when I answered that question, there was a certain symmetry that emerged. So, first of all, Conspiracy to commit crimes against the United States. Well, it's in the title of the statute. United Who's the States. victim? The United States of Russia America Russia has Russia been Russia. defrauded out of Party a free and chairs. fair election. Look at the second charge. Witness tampering or obstructing the official congressional proceeding. Who's the victim? Congress. Look at the third charge. And deprivation of people. rights under the color of law. Who are the victims? We the people. So it makes some sense that Jack Smith captured... The three main categories of victims of Donald Trump's crimes, the United States of America, Congress, and the voters, we the people. So that's when it, it sort of fell into place for me when I thought about these three charges in those terms. Now Glenn, we didn't see uh, any semblance of
2: an insurrection charge in this indictment. Is there the possibility that we could find out that that is one of
4: the charges when Donald Trump appears for his arraignment? good news is the answer is yes, absolutely. I was a little taken aback when I did not see insurrection included in the target letter for a couple of reasons. One, the the, the January 6th House Select Committee specifically referred the charge of insurrection to the Department of Justice for criminal investigation and possible prosecution because they believed they had amassed enough evidence during their congressional inquiry to support that charge against Donald Trump. So I was a little surprised not to see it. I was also surprised not to see it because I think Donald Trump inarguably incited an insurrection, assisted an insurrection, and has given aid and comfort to the insurrection and the insurrectionists all along. He does it to this day by pledging to pardon the people who attacked the Capitol. So, um, and here's the reason I was really disappointed that I didn't see it in there. The authorized punishment in the event of conviction of the three crimes that are included in the target letter that we just discussed, the authorized punishment is a term of incarceration, imprisonment, and a potential fine. But if you're convicted of insurrection, there is one additional punishment that is authorized by law. It's in the federal statute for rebellion or insurrection, and it is a prohibition from ever holding federal office. Yeah, Again, the statute yeah, says that need. if convicted, the person shall be incapable of holding office under the United States. But the good news is Jack yeah. Smith is not bound to charge only the three offenses that he put in the target letter. People should know. Defendants Fuckers. have no right to a target letter. Come on, they have man. no constitutional right, no statutory right, Fucking no pussies. process right. It's done almost as a courtesy right, to Dr. say, listen... These are the areas where the grand jury is looking at you as a target. And if you'd like to come to the grand jury and testify and explain yourself, try to convince the grand jury that, no, 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 I did nothing wrong. This is all a big misunderstanding. Of course, Donald Trump has turned down Jack Smith's offer to appear before the grand jury. But the point is, Jack Smith is not bound. By those three laws that he included in the target letter so an insurrection charge could absolutely still be coming
2: okay and... so what was your reaction to the statutes listed in the indictment did you get any indication from reading this as to whether the doj is going soft on trump or did it feel like full steam ahead for him
0: phone charging slowly well, this is the fastest phone charger on the market
5: There's a 90% chance your phone
2: is already infected with this. There's a new groundbreaking discovery that's... ...from reading this as to whether the DOJ is going soft on Trump, or
4: did it feel like full steam ahead for him? Yeah, great question. Well, well, first of all, because I expect an indictment that includes far more than just those three crimes in charges that Jack Smith uh, asks the grand jury to vote out. But I don't think it suggests that Jack Smith and his team are going hard or going easy. I I view this as Jack Smith and his team determining that the evidence they have acquired, they've amassed, they've obtained over the course of a really aggressive, rigorous, thorough grand jury investigation supports crimes that fall into these three categories. So I don't think
3: it's soft. I don't think it's hard. I think it's precisely what he believes. Continue to run.
4: beyond a reasonable
2: doubt. Okay, now based on these statutes that we already know of, uh, assuming that they're true, uh, what is the sentencing recommendation for you know for, for these statutes? How how long normally would someone be sentenced based on on uh, what we've seen?
4: Yeah, there's really no normal when it comes to you know right. in the a a former president terrorist. of the United States is convicted. Trista for press, Trump for prison. On these counts or similar counts, how, might, how long might he spend in prison? But if we look at the statutory penalties, I think they're instructive. So a conspiracy, pretty much any conspiracy, including a conspiracy to commit offenses against or defraud the United States, carries a five-year penalty. Whereas obstructing an official proceeding, right, trying to stop the certification of Joe Biden's win, carries up to 20 years in prison. Trying to stop the certification of Joe Biden's win carries up to 20 years in prison. So I think the takeaway, Brian, is that regardless of, you know, how many offenses of conviction Donald Trump yeah, ends up what with if it's on his Trump criminal judge. resume, he's going to be sentenced to something that is a de facto life term, given his age, and assuming a judge actually sentences him to prison to incarceration rather than something like home confinement okay uh when would you expect
2: the actual indictment to be unsealed and just to, for for note we're recording this any on any minute Thursday. now
4: yeah so i think what we can use as a guide is the mar-a-lago documents obstruction and espionage case uh, two minutes after he ate a, a uh, two days Trump after he had a sandwich case, putting last him time. on notice that you're likely to
0: Two days after he went and got a Subway sandwich last time, uh, he was indicted.
4: He indicted down in Florida uh, for a series of crimes. And it was a couple of weeks after that when the indictment finally dropped and became public. If we use that as a data point, it could be that we will see indictments of Donald Trump in federal court in D.C. for crimes involving the January 6th attack on the Capitol in the next couple of weeks but it really is a wild card. Jack Smith could be prepared to drop the indictment in the next day or two, or it could be another month. Okay, and finally, when do you anticipate
2: that this case would go to trial relative to the other cases that Trump's been indicted for? Um, I believe the Manhattan DA case is slated for March of 2024, and of course the other DOJ case in Florida is currently uncertain, but no sooner than December of 2023.
4: Yeah, when criminal trials collide. This is a really interesting, Question: um, When a defendant has so many criminal cases up and running in this system, systems, both state and federal, who goes first? Well, the general rule of thumb is whoever gets, whoever returns the first indictment is ordinarily, all things being equal, the first case to go to trial.
6: However. Uh.
4: Ordinarily, all things being
0: what the hell?
4: ordinarily all things being equal, the first case to go to trial, however, I don't necessarily believe that to be the case for a couple of reasons. Let's start with the federal case. The documents trial down in Florida has a lot of built in roadblocks because of the classified documents and what's called the CEPA, the Classified Information Protection Act requirements, that can really um, take longer than usual to to get a case to trial. The security clearances that are necessary for Donald Trump's lawyers. So even though that case was the first federally indicted case, it could very well be that an insurrection-related case in Washington, D.C. goes to trial before the federal case. You mentioned the New York case. Here is the other dynamic at play. Ordinarily, the feds are the biggest, baddest guy on the block. And when there is a decision as to whether a federal trial should go first or a loosely related state trial should go first, there is almost always consensus. I don't wanna speak for the state DAs here, but there is almost always consensus that we're gonna let the feds go first and the states are happy to take a backseat to the feds. Why? Because the feds have about a ninety-eight percent conviction rate, and I don't think there's a single state in the country that even comes close uh, to that conviction rate. So you know, the feds have the big hammer, and if Donald Trump is held accountable in a federal trial, it may very well be that some of his state trials go away either. By The state DA is offering a sweetheart guilty plea deal with no time because if he's already serving what? time in, in the feds, with then no the time. states don't need to pursue uh, a sentence of incarceration oh. or the DA might just dismiss the case outright because you can only get one pound of flesh from a defendant. Quick oh. question on that. Uh, knowing that any subsequent
2: Republican president may very well pardon a convicted Donald Trump, wouldn't the states, in this case, uh, Fulton County, Georgia, wouldn't the states have kind of a proclivity to, to not just give Trump a, a, a sweetheart deal with no promise of incarceration? Because isn't that kind of the failsafe if he's ultimately pardoned by some subsequent Republican president?
4: Yeah, it is the failsafe. The other failsafe is electing a president, whether a Democrat or a Republican, who cares about the rule of law and opts not to pardon a criminal former president um, but yes the, the presidential pardon power does not extend to the state so in the event Georgia wins a conviction or in the event uh, New York State wins a conviction then those cases would be pardon proof as at least from the, the perspective of a, of a presidential pardon sometimes governors have the pardon power the good news is the governor of Georgia does not have the pardon power so here is the other thing that might end up happening if he gets convicted federally. The states might negotiate a plea deal that involves a period of incarceration, but it could be served concurrently with his federal term. So in other words, you know, whatever time he's serving in the feds would also count toward the time he's, he would be serving in the state sentence or the state case. That would be a little bit of a guarantee in the event there was a presidential pardon, because then the state sentence would kick in right. and he would literally be delivered from the Federal Bureau of Prisons to the state authorities to complete his sentence in a state facility. Got it. Okay, well obviously we're with Sarah Pop all of this
2: stuff and we are uh full blown up Think of these Long-awaited January 6th case. We've receiving a target letter in the DOJ's long-awaited January 6th case. We've now got some reporting as to what the criminal. So, watching the legal breakdown. So, Glenn, on the heels of Trump receiving a target letter in the DOJ's long-awaited January 6th case, we've now got some reporting as to what the criminal statutes are listed in the indictment, and uh, there were some surprises in there. Can you
4: discuss what they were? So, in the target letter that Jack Smith delivered to Donald Trump, telling him that he is in fact a target of the grand jury's criminal investigation into all things january 6th, jack smith included three crimes now you should think of these crimes as almost chapters or general topic headings because jack smith ultimately will not be bound by what he put in the target letter in other words you're not going to see an indictment that has only three crimes charged this is designed to put the target of the investigation on general notice of the kind of crimes he may be liable for. So the three crimes that Jack Smith included are one, conspiracy to commit offenses against or defraud the United States. Two, uh, witness tampering. We'll get back to that one in a minute. And then three, deprivation of rights under color of law. Now that's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo there. So let me try to break those three crimes down in layman's terms. First of all, the conspiracy to commit crimes against or defraud the united states that is exactly what it sounds like two or more people entered into an agreement to do wrong to violate the laws of the united states to defraud the united states for example out of free and fair elections interestingly that's one of the crimes the january sixth house committee uh, interestingly that's one of the crimes the january 6th house select Committee referred to the Department of Justice for investigation and possible prosecution of Donald Trump. That is also one of the crimes that a federal judge out in California, David Carter, found by a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, that Donald Trump and one of his nefarious lawyers, John Eastman, committed. So that one was not at all a surprise. Let's move on to the second one witness tampering. So the minute I saw that, I thought of a couple of things. One, I thought of witnesses like Cassidy Hutchinson, who, if you'll recall, she had a lawyer who was on team Trump. Somebody looking out for Donald Trump's best interests, not Cassidy Hutchinson's, the client's best interests. And that was early on when Cassidy Hutchinson, by her own admission, was not being completely forthcoming. But then, she got rid of that lawyer, she hired a lawyer who had her best interest at heart, and she began telling the truth including about things like crimes by Mark Meadows and Donald Trump. So was she tampered with as a witness early on? That was the first thing that came to mind. But then I took a step back and I dug into, you know, the big ugly blue book of federal laws, the United States Criminal Code. And I read the witness uh, tampering federal law in its entirety. Ro- 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 know, just because Jack Smith said one of the potential crimes is witness tampering. When you read that federal statute, there are more than 30 different crimes that are listed under the witness tampering statute. Here is the one that I think Jack Smith may have been referring to when he included that in the target letter. Obstructing an official proceeding. That is under the witness tampering statute, and that is the crime that so many of the foot soldiers of the insurrection, the boots of the insurrection, the people Donald Trump ordered to attack the Capitol, fight like hell or you won't have a, a country anymore. Now go down there and stop the certification, stop the steal. Hundreds of them have been convicted of obstructing an official congressional proceeding, the certification of the results of the presidential election. So I think that may be what Jack Smith was signaling when he included the witness tampering statute. And then the third one was a bit of an outlier. I don't think any of us had it on our bingo card, and that is deprivation of rights under color of law. What does that mean? Well, that's a federal law under Section 241 that has been used When people try to fraudulently interfere in an election, for example, there was a case involving stuffing a ballot box with fraudulent ballots, fraudulent votes. What does that do? That actually deprives all voters in that jurisdiction of the full value of their vote. Under the color of law, it sort sort of indicates as a government official, as a government employee. Um, So uh, that was a bit of a surprise, but it looks like Jack Smith determined that there's enough evidence to prosecute Donald Trump for what is basically an election fraud scheme that probably refers to the fake electors because he and his criminal associates ended up depriving the American people of the full value of their vote. Now, at the risk of going on too long-riding, one other observation I want to make about these three charges. When I looked at them, I kind of took a step back and I asked myself the question, okay, who are the victims in each of these three charges? And when I answered that question, There was a certain symmetry that emerged. So first of all, conspiracy to commit crimes against the United States. Well, it's in the title of the statute. Who's the victim? The United States of America it has been defrauded out of a free and fair election. Look at the second charge, witness tampering or obstructing the official congressional proceeding. Who's the victim? Congress. Look at the third charge, deprivation of rights under the color of law. Who are the victims? We the people. So it makes some sense that Jack Smith captured the three main categories of victims of Donald Trump's crimes: the United States of America, Congress, and the voters, we the people. So that's when it it sort of fell into place for me when I thought about these three charges in those terms.
2: So then we didn't see uh, any semblance of an insurrection charge in this indictment, is there the possibility that we could find out that that is one of the charges when Donald Trump appears for his arraignment?
4: The good news is the answer is yes, absolutely. I was a little taken aback when I did not see insurrection included in this target letter for a couple of reasons. One, the, the, the January 6th House Select Committee specifically referred the charge of insurrection to the Department of Justice for criminal investigation and possible prosecution because they believe they had amassed enough evidence during their congressional inquiry to support that charge against Donald Trump. So I was a little surprised not to see it. I was also surprised not to see it because I think Donald Trump inarguably incited an insurrection, assisted an insurrection, and has given aid and comfort to the insurrection and the insurrectionists. All along, he does it to this day by pledging to pardon the people who attacked the Capitol. So, um, and here's the reason I was really disappointed that I didn't see it in there. The authorized punishment in the event of conviction of the three crimes that are included in
3: There were no insurrection charges. We will still. Oh uh, let's
0: see, but do you think it's, uh, mission point? Coming. what
4: the hell target letter that we just discussed the authorized punishment is a term of incarceration imprisonment and a potential fine but if you're convicted of insurrection there is one additional punishment that is authorized by law it's in the federal statute for rebellion or insurrection and it is a prohibition from ever holding federal office again The statute says that if convicted, the person shall be incapable of holding office under the United States. But the good news is Jack Smith is not bound to charge only the three offenses that he put in the target letter. People should know. Defendants have no right to a target letter. They have no constitutional right, no statutory right, no due process right. It's done almost as a courtesy to say, listen, These are the areas where the grand jury is looking at you as a target. And if you'd like to come to the grand jury and testify and explain yourself, try to convince the grand jury that no, 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 I did nothing wrong. This is all a big misunderstanding. Of course, Donald Trump has turned down Jack Smith's offer to appear before Ah. the grand jury. But the point is, Jack Smith is not bound by those three laws that he included in the target letter. So an insurrection charge could absolutely still be coming.
2: Okay. What was your reaction to the statutes listed in the indictment? Did you get any indication from reading this as to whether the DOJ is going soft on Trump,
4: or did it feel like full steam ahead for him? Yeah, great question. Well, well, first of all, because I expect an indictment that includes far more than just those three crimes right. in charges that Jack Smith asks the grand jury to vote out. But I don't think it suggests that Jack Smith and his team are going hard or going easy. I, I view this as Jack Smith and his team determining that the evidence they have Acquired, they've amassed, they've obtained, they've a really aggressive, rigorous, thorough grand jury investigation supports crimes that fall into these three categories. So I don't think it's soft, I don't think it's hard, I think it's precisely what he believe he can
2: prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, now so based on these statutes that we already know of, uh, assuming that they're true, uh, what is the sentencing recommendation? for, you know, for, for these statutes. How how long normally would someone be sentenced based on, on uh, what we've seen?
4: Yeah, there's really no normal when it comes to, you know, right. in the a former
3: president of the United States is convicted on these counts or similar counts. How
0: breaking huh. doj crim criminal division Oops. doj crim div new york times Her. Hang on, you me. Okay.
4: Convicted on these counts or similar counts. How oh much?
0: Okay, we're back. We're listening to Glenn Kirshner on Brian Teller Cohen. Crimes
4: against the United States. Well, it's in the title of the statute. So, the big, ugly blue book of federal laws, the United States Criminal Code. And I read the uh, witness-tampering federal law in its entirety. And here's what people should know. Just because Jack Smith said one of the potential crimes is witness-tampering, when you read that federal statute, there are more than 30 different crimes that are listed under the witness-tampering statute. Here is the one that I think Jack Smith may have been referring to when he included that in the target letter obstructing an official proceeding that is under the witness tampering statute and that is a crime that so many of the foot soldiers of the insurrection the boots of the insurrection the people donald trump ordered to attack the Capitol, fight like hell or you won't have a country anymore now go down there and stop the certification stop the steal hundreds of them have been convicted of obstructing an official congressional proceeding the certification of the results of the presidential election. So I think that may be what Jack Smith was signaling when he included the witness tampering statute. And then the third one was a bit of an outlier. I don't think any of us had it on our bingo card, and that is deprivation of rights under color of law. What does that mean? Well, that's a federal law under Section 241 that has been used when people try to fraudulently interfere in an election for example there was a case involving stuffing a ballot box with fraudulent ballots fraudulent votes what does that do that actually deprives all voters in that jurisdiction of the full value of their vote under the color of law just sort of indicates as a government official as a government employee um So that was a bit of a surprise, but it looks like Jack Smith determined that there's enough evidence
3: to prosecute Donald Trump
4: for what is basically an election fraud scheme. It probably refers to the fake electors because he and his criminal associates ended up depriving the American people of the full value of their vote. Now, at the risk of going on too long, Brian, there's Mm -hmm. one other observation Mm -hmm. I want to make about these three charges. When I looked at them, I kind of took a step back and I asked myself the question, okay, who are the victims in each of these three charges? And when I answered that question, there was a certain symmetry that emerged. So, first of all, conspiracy to commit crimes against the United States. Well, it's in the title of the statute. Who's the victim? The United States of America it has been defrauded out of a free and fair election. Look at the second charge, witness tampering or obstructing the official congressional proceeding who's the victim Congress look at the third charge deprivation of rights under the color of law who are the victims we the people so it makes some sense that Jack Smith captured the three main categories of victims of Donald Trump's crimes: the United States of America Congress and the voters we the people so that's when it, it sort of fell into place for me when I thought about these three charges in those terms So then we didn't see uh, any semblance of an
2: insurrection charge in this indictment. Is there the possibility that we could find out that that is one of the charges
4: when Donald Trump appears for his arraignment? The good news is the answer is yes, absolutely. I was a little taken aback when I did not see insurrection included in the target letter for a couple of reasons. One, the, the, the January 6th House Select Committee specifically referred the charge of insurrection to the Department of Justice for criminal investigation and possible prosecution because they believed they had amassed enough evidence during their congressional inquiry to support that charge against Donald Trump. So I was a little surprised not to see it. I was also surprised not to see it because I think Donald Trump inarguably incited an insurrection assisted in insurrection and has given aid and comfort to the insurrection and the insurrectionists Terps, all along. He does it to this day by pledging to pardon yeah. the people who attacked the Capitol. Uh-huh. So, um, and here's the reason I was really disappointed that I didn't see it in there. The authorized punishment in the event of conviction of the three crimes that are included in the target letter that we just discussed, the authorized punishment is a term of incarceration, imprisonment, and a potential fine. But if you're convicted of insurrection, there is one additional punishment that is authorized by law It's in in the federal statute for rebellion or insurrection. And it is a prohibition from ever holding federal office. Again, the statute says that if convicted, the person shall be incapable of holding office under the United States. But the good news is Jack Smith is not bound to charge only the three offenses that he put in the target letter. People should know, defendants have no right to a target letter. They have no constitutional right, no statutory right, no due process right. It's done almost as a courtesy to say, listen, these are the areas where the grand jury is looking at you as a target. And if you'd like to come to the grand jury and testify and explain yourself, Try to convince the grand jury that, no, 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 I did nothing wrong. This is all a big misunderstanding. Of course, Donald Trump has turned down Jack Smith's offer to appear before the grand jury. But the point is, Jack Smith is not bound by those three laws that he included in the target letter. So an insurrection charge could absolutely still be coming.
2: Okay. Glenn, what was your reaction to the statutes listed in the indictment? Did you get any indication from reading this as to whether the DOJ is going soft on Trump, or did it feel like full steam ahead for him?
4: Yeah, great question. Well, well, first of all, because I expect an indictment that includes far more than just those three crimes in the charges that Jack Smith uh, asks the grand jury to vote out. But I don't think it suggests that Jack Smith and his team are going hard or going easy. I I view this as Jack Smith and his team determining that the evidence they have acquired, they've amassed, they've obtained over the course of a really aggressive, rigorous, thorough grand jury investigation, supports crimes that fall into these three categories. So I don't think it's soft. I don't think it's hard. I think it's precisely what he believes He can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay. Now, based on these statutes
2: that we already know of, uh, assuming that they're true, uh, what is the sentencing recommendation for you know for for these statutes? How how long normally would someone be sentenced based on on uh, what we've seen?
4: Uh Yeah, there's really no normal when it comes to you know in the event a former president of the United States is convicted on these counts or similar counts, how might how long might he spend in prison? But If we look at the statutory penalties, I think they're instructive. So a conspiracy, pretty much any conspiracy, including a conspiracy to commit offenses against or defraud the United States, carries a five-year penalty. Whereas obstructing an official proceeding, right? Trying to stop the certification of Joe Biden's win, carries up to 20 years in prison. So I think the takeaway, Brian, is that regardless of, you know, how many offenses of conviction Donald Trump ends up with on his criminal resume, he's going to be sentenced to something that is a de facto life term, given his age, and assuming a judge actually sentences him to prison, to incarceration, rather than something like home confinement. Okay. Uh, When would you expect the actual indictment to be unsealed?
2: And just for, for note, we're recording this on Thursday.
4: Yeah, so I think what we can use as a guide is the Mar-a-Lago documents obstruction and espionage case. Um, Jack Smith delivered a target letter to Donald Trump in that case, putting him on notice that you're likely to be indicted down in Florida uh, for a series of crimes. And it was a couple of weeks after that when the indictment finally dropped and became public. If we use that as a data point, it could be that we will see indictments of Donald Trump in federal court in dc for crimes involving the january sixth attack on the capitol in the next couple of weeks but it really is a wild card jack smith could be prepared to drop the indictment in the next day or two or it could be another month
2: okay And finally, when do you anticipate that this case would go to trial relative to the other cases that Trump's been indicted for? Um, I believe the Manhattan DA case is slated for March of 2024, and of course the other DOJ case in Florida is currently uncertain, but no sooner than December of 2023.
4: Yeah, when criminal trials collide. This is a really interesting question. Um, When a defendant has so many criminal cases up and running in the system, systems, both state and federal, who goes first? Well, the general rule of thumb is whoever gets, whoever returns the first indictment is ordinarily, all things being equal, the first case to go to trial. However, I don't necessarily believe that to be the case for a couple of reasons. Let's start with the federal case. The documents trial down in Florida has a lot of built in. Road bumps, speed bumps, because of the classified documents and what's called the SEPA, the Classified Information Protection Act requirements that can really um, take longer than usual to to get a case to trial. The security clearances that are necessary for Donald Trump's lawyers. So even though that case was the first federally-indicted case, it could very well be that an insurrection-related case in Washington, D.C. goes to trial before the federal case. You mentioned the New York case. Here is the other dynamic at play. Ordinarily, the feds are the biggest, baddest guy on the block. And when there is a decision as to whether a federal trial should go first or a loosely related state trial should go first, there is almost always consensus. I don't want to speak for the state DAs here, but there is almost always consensus that we're going to let the feds go first and the states are happy to take a back seat to the feds. Why? Because the feds have about a 98 percent conviction rate and I don't think there's a single state in the country that even comes close uh, to that conviction rate. So you know the feds have the big hammer and if Donald Trump is held accountable in a federal trial
1: it may very
4: well be that some of his state trials go away either by the state DAs offering a sweetheart guilty plea deal with no time, because if he's already serving time in in the feds, then the states don't need to pursue a, a sentence of incarceration, or the the DAs might just dismiss the case outright because you can only get one pound of flesh from a defendant. Quick question on that:
2: uh, knowing that. Any subsequent Republican president may very well pardon a convicted free, Donald Trump. Wouldn't the states, in this case, uh, Fulton County, Georgia, wouldn't the states have kind of a, a proclivity to to not just give Trump a, a a sweetheart deal with no promise of incarceration? Because isn't that kind of the failsafe if he's ultimately pardoned by some subsequent Republican president?
4: Yeah, it is the failsafe. The other failsafe is electing a president, whether a Democrat or a Republican who cares about the rule of law and opts not to pardon a criminal former president. Um, But yes, the the presidential pardon power does not extend to the state. So in the event Georgia wins a conviction, or in the event uh, New York State wins a conviction, then those cases would be pardon-proof, at least from the the perspective of a a presidential pardon. Sometimes governors have the the pardon power, the good news is The governor of Georgia does not have the pardon power. So here is the other thing that might end up happening if he gets convicted federally. The states might negotiate a plea deal that involves a period of incarceration, but it could be served concurrently with his federal terms. So in other words, you know, whatever time he's serving in the feds would also count toward the time he he would be serving in the state sentence or the state case. That would be a little bit of a guarantee in the event there was a presidential pardon because then the state sentence would kick in and he would literally be delivered from the Federal Bureau of Prisons to the state authorities to complete his sentence in a state facility.
2: Got it. Okay, well, obviously we'll stay on top of all of this stuff and we are... Uh, full-blown on indictment watch right now waiting for Jack Smith to unseal yeah. this second oh, indictment yeah. in the January 6th case, uh, case we've been long awaiting here. So if you want to follow on top of this stuff as soon as it breaks, make sure to subscribe. The links are right here on the screen. I'm Brian Teller Cohen
4: and I'm Glenn Kirschman.
2: You're watching The Legal Breakdown.
0: See if you're still there, yes, you are. Hello, darlings. Shout out to KAMP Student Radio with Dina Busty of Abbott Stow. Now, and KPYT Postway. Okay. I'll give you Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio. On the rest with Tristan Stow, Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio. Oh, three, three. Ah, 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 ah. oh, oops, I forgot the, uh, can't forget the letters, you know, i use some of this huge thing, organic letters, mm. um, yeah, square news, and uh, here at the reverse Truman show, sometimes I listen to things two or three times, especially if it's great news like this. And also because uh, it can be kind of dense information, concentrated information. So I glean a little bit more out of it each time. You know. By the way, I used to be note taker at UC Berkeley. I, cover, I did the uh, game theory class. Yeah, some really good grades to be able to be the note taker. class. A way to make some cash so I didn't end up in uh, so much debt. But should be all fucking canceled, it shouldn't be, Which shouldn't be any debt from going to college and improving your country by, uh, like, I, I've got a Oxford degree, like, Clinton, Hillary, I mean, um, We met at Yale Law school, Hillary and um, Bill. But he went to Oxford like I did. Oh shit.
3: It's kind of unwieldy.
0: Insider speaks out. Former Trump insider delivers dire warning one minute ago.
6: Do you ever feel
7: afraid to do the things you nope. know you should don't do, never but you afraid. don't? Hey, it's John Astra founder of NeuroGym, no, a company dedicated to using the most
8: It's Ken Harbaugh with Against All Enemies. For today's episode, I want to share part of an interview with Miles Taylor. Who was one of the few people to have seen the cruelty and callousness of Trump's White House from the inside as a senior official in the Department of Homeland Security, and then speak up about it. His second book, Blowback, just came out, and it is a powerful warning about what a second Trump term would mean for the country. You can catch our full interview on Burn the Boats, but here on Against All Enemies, I wanted to focus on the risks that people like Miles take When they stand up to right-wing extremists here's just a sampling of the kinds of voicemails that miles gets on a regular basis simply for telling the truth about donald trump believe it or not i have edited this heavily to take out the most violent and depraved threats what's left will still shock you what you're doing to president trump is disgusting
7: You are disgusting people, you're evil and you're going to go down, you are a traitor. You're pushing for anti-trump. We're going to dock you. You're not going to be able to walk down the street. You're an anti-American. Leave the country.
4: You're not welcome here anymore. You're
1: anti-American. You hate your country. Get out. Because
0: you
1: will deserve
8: the the wrath of hell. And I think you will
1: get what's coming to you. God willing. You guys poke the bear. You
3: woke the sleeping giant. We're
8: coming, my man. We started against all enemies because of the clear and present danger posed by domestic extremists. I worry, though, that when we think about extremism, we sometimes picture shadowy fringe groups operating on the margins of our society. That's absolutely a thing, and my co-host Chris Goldsmith the exposes the these groups and their members like no one else does. But what is uniquely dangerous about the moment we're currently living in is not the presence of groups with violent anti-democratic agendas, we've actually always had those in this country. What's most frightening is the fact that expressions of violence have become normalized. The celebration of fascist behavior has become mainstreamed. If you've been watching Against All Enemies, you know that. We showed you video from a Moms for Liberty convention where the Speaker doubled down on quoting Hitler approvingly, and the crowd went crazy. This kind of behavior is incompatible with a diverse democratic society. It's why we are pushing back. Miles and I get into that in this excerpt from our conversation. We cover a lot more ground in the full interview on Burn the Boats, so please check that out as well. Thanks, everyone. Here's me and Miles. The thought that 80 million Americans are 70. 70- million-plus Americans voted for Trump uh, the last time around is is terrifying and even the the positive results in the last midterms I don't think inspire a, a, a whole lot of confidence still far too close for comfort and you wrote this about Trumpism we didn't snuff it out rather we looked the other way as cinders lit the dry underbrush of our frank society and spread like wildfire Right now, the winds favor the fanatics from a historically divided electorate to grim public attitudes about political violence. And that's what really scares me the most. This rhetoric, and not just rhetoric, but the activities of extremist organizations fomenting, carrying out acts of political violence, uh, we're, we're approaching very dangerous times reminiscent of the, the late 1850s.
1: Yeah, this is the type of thing that, you know, Ken, I always say this. If you told me 10 years ago, I was going to be talking about the prospect of a new American civil war, I would have said, you know, Miles hit his head one too many times. You know, what's wrong with that guy? But a lot of the folks that I spoke to for this book were using that type of language. You know, I'll I'll go back to Fiona Hill, who I mentioned earlier, who'd been a Trump advisor for much of the administration. Fiona used a term called soft secession. Her warning was that if Trump or a savvier successor won the White House, you would see the start of soft secession movements in the United States. In other words, red states and blue states increasingly separating themselves from the legal architecture that undergirds our democracy. Uh, and in and, and her view, when you go and study foreign civil wars and civil strife, that's usually the first indicator you see before something moves into more violent conflict. Is this period of soft secession? Her comment was we're actually in it right now. But there was another Trump official who in these conversations said to me that he predicted uh, if Trump won, that there would be at least legal civil war in this country, if not actual violence. And his comment was, you know, it's not gonna be battalions, you know, on an open fields, it's gonna be a different type of civil war, one that includes low level violence, political assassinations. Uh, and, and civil strife in major U.S. cities. And that political assassination piece is the one that really worried me. You see this a lot uh, when you look back at history that moments where a major leader is attacked or, God forbid, killed can spark uh, more widespread violence and light the dry underbrush of dissatisfaction in the political system. And right now, we're seeing the warning signs basically blinking red as much as they've been since 9-11 on that front. So, you know, law enforcement officials told me they're seeing more chatter about threats to public servants than at any point since 9-11. We saw a tenfold increase in threats to elected leaders from the beginning of the Trump administration till the end of the Trump administration. But more fundamentally, Ken, Americans' attitudes towards political violence have surged in a favorable way. Uh, I think NPR found that 25% of Americans have a favorable view of violence towards the government in certain circumstances, which was a high watermark. And then there was the famous University of Chicago survey last year that found one in 10 Americans believed Donald Trump should be forcibly reinstalled in the White House. I don't care where your political stripes are. You have to look at that data uh, dispassionately and say that really is dry underbrush that's ready to be lit on fire in the wrong circumstances.
4: Do you it's your home and there's no place like wayfair to make your reach-in closet feel like a walk-in closet wow that's chilling
8: you use the phrase and everyone uses it red states and blue states and that always makes me nervous when we are talking about civil war because it it presumes the kind of possibility of a clean break that we saw in the 1860s that just can't happen this time. It's it's a liberal conceit you often hear that, oh, we'll just write off the red states. You know, Texas can go its own way. We'll see how they do without federal dollars. I, I think we need to dispense with that because there are good people in Texas fighting for progress, uh, and we're not gonna have a clean break. Um, it's it's just not possible. And I know you don't believe that either, because you you introduced some really helpful frameworks.
0: Hi there, welcome back. We're listening to um, former Trump insider delivers dire warning. Posted four minutes ago, might as touch. Here's my comment. Let's do away with political parties altogether. Founding fathers warned us against this creation of factions. Let's run on name and platforms only. And half women in Congress now. And term limits now. Abolish the electoral college now, and disqualify all the fucking insurrectionists from January 6th now. J- Tristan for prez, Trump for prison. P.S. Reason we have so much violence? Trump, when he has a rally violent crime goes up 300% in that area. He's constantly calling for civil war. He's constantly inciting violence and terrorism against sitting elected officials. That's fucking terrorism. America, stop putting up with fascism. Nobody does anything. I say suspend the Republican Party for cheating in elections, persecuting minorities and immigrants, and the insurrection, of course. Lock them all the F up and throw away the key. Mighty touch. Right.
6: Vice
4: president right. of a major U.S. investment bank. Oh shit.
0: What the fuck, podcast, Senator Alan Franken? Let's see what Al Franken. Well, I'll has be honest to say. with you,
8: Senator Franken. Huh? I uh, I didn't quite finish the book. Ten I am about twenty okay. pages shy. Now it's okay.
7: But but at the huh? end, is there some uh, practical solution to all the world's problems that can be enacted quickly? It's it's okay, actually on the, line. the list.
0: let uh, latest Trump news breaking. MSNBC.
6: terrible day for defendant.
0: You mean Trader Trump?
6: Trump, including the revelation today of the specific charges mentioned in Special Prosecutor Jack Smith's letter to Donald Trump on Sunday telling him that he is a target in Jack Smith's criminal investigation of events leading up to and on January 6th, attempting to overthrow the presidential election. Donald Trump had a very bad day in two different courts in New York City today in refusing Donald Trump's request for a new trial in the civil case uh, with E. Jean Carroll. The judge said, Mr. Trump raped her. Those are the judges' exact words in clarifying what the evidence in the case act raped her day in two different courts in New York. At a very bad day for the presidential election Donald Trump. Had a very bad day in two different courts. Jack Smith throw the presidential election Donald Trump had a very bad day in two different courts in New York City today, in refusing Donald Trump's request for a new trial in the civil case uh, with E. Jean Carroll, the judge said, Mr. Trump raped her. Those are the judge's exact words in clarifying what the evidence in the case actually proved to the jury. We will have more on that in this hour with law professor michelle goodwin also in manhattan today a federal judge denied donald trump's attempts to move manhattan district attorney alvin bragg's criminal prosecution of donald trump from state court to federal court and so that criminal case remains on track for trial in manhattan in march Uh nbc news is reporting that the target letter Jack Smith sent for the president. Donald Trump had a very bad day in two different courts
3: in New York City today in refusing Donald Trump's request for a trial. In the civil case uh,
6: with E. Jean Carroll, the judge said, Mr. Trump case actually proved to the jury. We will have more on that in this hour with law professor Michelle. Trader Trump had a shitty day in
0: court. MSNBC Uh, Lawrence 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 O'Donnell It's law rent. It's got law in it.
6: We'll have more on that in this hour with law professor Michelle Goodwin. Also in Manhattan today, a federal judge denied Donald Trump's attempt to move Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's criminal prosecution of Donald Trump from state court to federal court. And so that criminal case remains on track for trial in Manhattan in March. NBC News is reporting that the target letter Jack Smith sent to Donald Trump refers to three specific potential charges. The New York Times is building on that reporting tonight, adding more specificity, quote, Two of the statutes were familiar from the criminal referral by the House January 6th Committee, conspiracy to defraud the government and obstruction of an official proceeding. But the third criminal law cited in the letter was a surprise, Section 241 of Title 18 of the United States Code, which makes it a crime for people to, quote, conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person. In the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States, Congress enacted that statute after the Civil War to provide a tool for federal agents to go after Southern whites, including Ku Klux Klan members, who engaged in terrorism to prevent formerly enslaved African Americans. Yeah, that's from exactly voting. what
0: Trump's
6: doing. Donald Trump did everything he could to intimidate two election workers in Georgia who testified to the January 6th committee, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. There is nowhere I feel safe. Nowhere.
2: Do you know how it feels to have
7: the president of the United States to target you? A lot of threats. Um... Wishing death upon me, um,
8: telling me that, you know, I'm, I'll be in jail with my mother and saying things like, be glad it's 2020 and not 1920.
6: Were a lot of these threats and, and vile comments racist in nature?
7: A lot of them were racist. A lot of them were just hateful. Yes, sir. If Donald
6: Trump is facing a conspiracy charge, we will not know until an indictment is made public what, who sir? his co-conspirators might. Oh.
3: Commercial
2: real estate deal, just one, and you could be set for life. You see, this would you like Trump
0: and to say yes or like that? That's.
6: indictment that. made public. Who his co-conspirators might have Put back into fucking slavery been. era. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is reporting the Jack Smith's prosecutors quote requested. Surveillance and other security footage recorded at Atlanta's State Farm Arena, according to a subpoena obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In a grand jury subpoena dated May 31st, Georgia Secretary of State's office was directed to hand over any and all security video or security footage or any other kind of video, any kind depicting or taken at or near State Farm and any associated data. That is, of course, where some of the vote counting was taking place. Jack Smith's investigators and Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis have been investigating the fake electors scheme in Georgia. Yesterday in Michigan, 16 of Donald Trump's fake electors were charged with felonies by Michigan Attorney General Daniel Nessel. No one outside of Michigan was charged in that case, but when the fake electors scheme was coming together in many states, In December of 2020, Trump White House aide Stephen Miller was very proud to take full credit for what he called an alternate slate of electors.
8: The only date in the Constitution is January 20th. So we have more than enough time to right the wrong of this fraudulent election result and certify Donald Trump as the winner of the election. As we speak today, an ultimate slate of electors in the contested states is going to vote, and we're going to send those results up to Congress. This will ensure that all of our legal remedies remain open. That means that if we win these cases in the courts, that we can direct that the ultimate state of electors be certified. The state legislatures in Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania can do the same. And likewise, Congress has that
6: opportunity as well to do the right thing. Leading off our discussion tonight, Glenn Kershner is a former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst. He is also the host of the Justice Matters podcast. Also with us, Harry Lipman, former U.S. Justice, attorney and former Deputy Justice Assistant Attorney matters. General, he is a senior legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times. And Harry, what do you make of what we're getting by way of specificity in the target letter on these three possible areas of? Uh, a, a possible indictment of Donald Trump by the January 6th grand jury that Jack Smith has in panel.
7: So first, I'm ready to call it an indictment, a certain indictment. Target letters are, what, as night follows day, are followed by uh, indictment. Second, in terms of the charges, two of them are quite well vetted and what we expected so the defrauding of the united states almost certainly refers to the false electors scheme and the attempt to as you were just mentioning in in michigan to impose an alternate that is to say a phony baloney set of false uh, electors and the obstruction almost certainly refers to trying to get uh... pens to delay Uh, otherwise move things to the state legislatures, those things we expected. Now we might have expected some kind of insurrection charge involving the actual melee on the ground. It looks as if we're not going to get that and there were many reasons that it's got legal challenges. And we are going to get this 241 count. Very, very interesting. Lots of speculation now about what it concerns. The short answer is we'll know and soon. I person there there are, um, thoughts that it involves the uh, defrauding of the entire country and votes. There's a little bit of precedent for that, but I think the Supreme Court wouldn't love it. I'm looking at potentially the uh, deprivation of rights of members of Congress to do their work. But we will see soon enough. So two very clear charges, and the third we will just have to wait and see how it connects to the events on the ground of January 6th. Uh, Clay Kirshner, uh, given what we now know about what was mentioned
6: in the target letter, and surely more was mentioned in the target letter. I'm sure there's gonna be surprises even in the target letter that we don't have yet. Uh, what do you make of
7: what appears to be Jack Smith's it's a
3: good
7: Count uh, uh, very, very in, uh, false uh, electors. And the obstruction almost certainly refers to trying to get uh, Pence to delay uh, otherwise, move things to the state legislatures. Those things we
3: expected. <laughs> Uh, We might have expected some kind of insurrection charge involving the actual
7: melee on the ground. It looks as if we're not going to get that. And there were many reasons that it's got legal challenges. And we are going to get this 241 count. Very, very interesting. Lots of spe- Jack Smith's approach to this case.
3: Yeah, you know, I think the- Judge Cherry Littman.
0: Florida, Palawida
6: appears to be Jack Smith's approach to this case. Yeah, you know, I think these were three interesting
4: charges. I don't think any of us had all three of these on our bingo card, certainly not to the exclusion of the insurrection charge, which I'd love to talk about in a minute. But what I did was I tried to kind of pull back and look at these three charges and ask this question, who were the victims in these three charges? And I think in answering that question, a little bit of symmetry Emerges because the first one conspiracy to commit offenses against the United States or defraud the United States. That one we could see coming. Who's the victim? Well, this is going to sound like an oversimplification, but let's go with the plain language of the statute. The United States is the victim. Then let's move to what is labeled as witness tampering. But when you look at the U.S. code, I've got my big, ugly blue book of federal laws here. I never leave home without it, the United States code. You look under the witness tampering statute and there are more than 30 crimes. One of them is obstructing an official proceeding. That is the obstruction of the certification of Joe Biden's
6: win. Who is the victim? Congress. And then when you look at the deprivation of rights, Who's the victim? We the people, the voters. So I think a
4: picture emerges that you've got the United States as the victim, you've got Congress as the victim, and you've got we the people as the victim. That makes some sense. What doesn't make a lot of sense is the absence of the insurrection charge in the target letter. I don't think that means we will never see an insurrection charge in an indictment, but the reason that caused me to shudder a little bit, Lawrence, is because the authorized punishment The authorized sentence for the three crimes that are listed in the target letter include imprisonment and fine. However, for insurrection, there's an added penalty, and that is that the person convicted of insurrection shall be incapable of holding office under the United States, a prohibition against future federal service. So that is one that I am hoping still makes an appearance somewhere along
6: the way. Harry, what about Shea Moss and her mother Ruby Freeman as victims somewhere in what could be the charging umbrella that this indictment represents?
7: Well, they certainly were. And I, I agree. I think Glenn has a, a very uh, trenchant way of looking at it. Who are the victims? There are countless ones in a way. But to zero in on those two, especially because it's so Georgia specific, I'll just say again, we might have expected insurrection. It didn't come. And there are we can talk about it more if, if you if you like. There are legal challenges there. But I think the missing piece that is what that would have been. the actual melee on the ground and the people charging the capital it's that 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 i think the 20 what would have been insurrection instead will be under 241 uh so yes you could certainly have a case but i think it's a little too small beer for jack smith to do and we'll look for fanny willis who by the way is coming out of the box in a couple weeks with a behemoth case i think to really redress those violations so uh, Glenn Kirshner, to that point that that this indictment
6: that uh, that Jack Smith's going to bring next is very likely to overlap with what Fawnnie uh, Willis is doing what what happens uh, does, does if you 're Fawny Willis and you 're watching this unfold uh, and you know Jack Smith uh, has been investigating in Georgia, uh, what are you thinking if you 're the district attorney of Fulton County? Yeah, you know, this is unusual to have so many jurisdictions, both state and federal,
4: involved in prosecuting the same target. Um, So there is no rule that says, for example, first in, first out. First indictment means first trial. So I don't necessarily believe that we're going to see the first federal trial down in florida the documents obstruction and espionage case we might but we might not um what i am hoping lawrence is that all of these prosecutors from all of these different jurisdictions will at least communicate with one another i'm not going to say they're going to cooperate or coordinate, but at least communicate with one another and take an overarching view of, you know, what really is in the best interest of we the people writ large. Now, prosecutors can be a territorial uh, bunch, and a lot of them will, you know, perhaps feel the urge to want their prosecution to go first. I could say when I was a federal prosecutor at the U.S. uh, Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia, I often had a target of an investigation or a charged defendant in common with my friends in the state's attorney's office in P.G. or montgomery county in maryland or my friends in the commonwealth's attorney's office across the river in arlington or alexandria and i think we all tried very hard to at least communicate with somebody uh, with with one another to make you know the, the decisions that sort of were in the best interest of each of our prosecutions but also in the best interest of, for example, the safety of our respective communities. I hope all of these prosecutors who have their sort of hands in the Donald Trump mix will at least be communicating with one another.
6: Harry then, uh, we have not mentioned uh, the criminal case against uh, Donald Trump in Manhattan since uh, Jack Smith's first indictment emerged uh, in the Southern District of Florida. I remember at the time when that indictment came out, saying offhandedly that it, it, the pressure's off Alvin Bragg today; he, he, he doesn't have to worry about us, you know, uh, staring at every little move he's making. Uh, Because obviously the espionage case, the structure of justice case is a bigger and more important case. Is it your sense that it is possible that a week from now what's going on in southern Florida in Judge Cannon's courtroom will feel much smaller to us than
7: it does now? Man, it's a great question. We really are so focused myopically. Remember that thunderbolt from, from Bragg and there was a follow up as you noted today. But I do think and uh, I I um the it's a, that that's one reason why Smith came out of the box quickly. He is focused. The
4: shocking truth about personal loans revealed instant loans are now available due to the recession. So, whether it's for food, or bills, or savings, or to help out a loved one, all you have to do is go to the site below and enter the maximum number. Okay. Then to
7: the okay. reason why Smith came out of the box quickly, he is focused on Bonnie Willis. I've been in this position as U.S. Attorney with, where there are parallel cases and in fact you normally do communicate more than he has. I think it's interesting to date he hasn't very much. So the short answer to your question is yes. The timing and we'll, we'll get uh, maybe talk soon about Ca- about uh, Eileen Cannon and, and what's happened in Mar-a-Lago but I think depending on who gets the case in D.C. you could well have a judge who's going to move it very quickly and and a court of appeals who won't book Trump's nonsense as as the 11th Circuit might. So yes, all of a sudden uh, the focus might really be this is what could go first. And of course there's a, there's a half a dozen things including the, um, the E. Jean Carroll uh, civil case going in January, but I think it might very well become the Mar-a-Lago case sort of second, third in a huge oh. menu of Trump. Are yeah. right,
6: we going to squeeze in a quick uh, break here?
7: And for us, it's going to be a reading break. Uh, we all have our transcripts of what happened. And are we going to squeeze? In? Yes, the timing, and we'll we'll get uh, maybe talk
3: soon about what we we'll can- about how. Ireen Kim and what's happened trouble. in Mar a Lago
7: but I think depending on who gets the case in DC you could well
3: have a judge who's going to move it very quickly and a court of appeals who won't brook Trump's nonsense as as the 11th Circuit might so yes all
7: of a sudden uh... the focus might really be this is what could go first and of course there's a there's a half a dozen things including the um, the e gene carol uh, civil case going in january but i think it might very well become the mar-a-lago case sort of second third in a huge menu of trouble for donald trump nah. All right, happened in judge Cannon's
3: nah. courtroom uh,
7: yesterday the-
0: Working, uh, so I'm tweeting this. First uh, step for or press, press, shop for prison.
6: In New York. Cannon's courtroom uh yesterday. I'm gonna need every lawyer I can get here uh to go through this. Uh and one of the questions will be uh to our legal experts: did you see anything in this transcript that Judge Cannon got wrong? Hint? I didn't. That's next. All right, time is up on our reading. Uh, we have it right here, the transcript of yesterday's hearing in federal court in the Southern District of Florida with Judge Cannon I like the way it skips the commercial. And there's so much in here that is richer than what we were able to.
0: Oh, shit. Oh.
6: Oh, man.
0: Just fucking closed it. Fucking shit closed it. I'm missing see Anger goes over hmm, Japan versus India. Shit. The dam is going to break on Biden family channel. Representative Ronnie Jackson.
8: Ronnie <coughs> So I thought this
6: guy was working out like crazy the, uh, but he wasn't. I met him yesterday at the conference and I asked him, How do you look that here was reaction? Former White House Chief of Staff, Ryan's Prevus, Texas
3: Congressman Ronnie
0: Tristopher Prez, Trump for prison, said, where's the evidence? This is just yet another Republican hoax. We have no fucking evidence. In fact, Ronnie Jackson and the rest of the Republicans are a party of traitors. I call for the suspension of the Republican Party.
6: Jackson, welcome both of you. Congressman, I'll begin with you tonight. Uh, This has been a bombshell week. When I say, quoting John Dean, a cancerous surrounding, a malignant one around the, the presidency of Joe Biden. Hey,
0: Fox.
3: Fucking terrorists Uh,
0: without evidence, just another Republican hoax and defamation against Joe Biden. Shame on you. When I'm prez This is when I'm Prince. When I'm prez You'll all be charged as co-conspirators. January 6th, shut down. Rupert Murdoch booted from the country. hey Fox where's your fucking evidence with no evidence without evidence Now I'm posting this on Christopher Prose on Facebook. And mm-hmm. uh, redstone. Citizens for Ethics, David K. Johnston, Arizona Politics, Public Media, Anna Presley. Because it's the first things that come up. BBC News, BBC One, No Lie with Brian Tether, Cohen, Lincoln Project, Good Enough. Okay. Okay, fuck them, Ronnie Johnson. and suck Trump's mushroom cop. Mushroom pecker. What the hell?
8: Ugh. Why is this raised bed garden struggling and this one over here is exploding with peppers and green? It's Ted Horvath. against all enemies. For today's episode, I want to share part of an interview with Miles Taylor, who was one of the few people to have seen the cruelty and callousness of Trump's White House from the inside as a senior official in the Department of Homeland Security, and then speak up about it. His second book, Blowback, just came out. And it is a powerful warning about what a second Trump term would mean for the country. You can catch our full interview on Burn the Boats, But here on Against All Enemies, I wanted to focus on the risks that people like Miles take when they stand up to right-wing extremists. Here's just a sampling of the kinds of voicemails that Miles gets on a regular basis simply for telling the truth about Donald Trump. Believe it or not, I have edited this heavily to take out the most violent and depraved threats. What's left will still shock you.
3: What you're doing,
7: to President Trump is disgusting. You are disgusting people. You're evil and in You are a traitor. You're pushing for anti Trump? Right? We're gonna dox you. You're not gonna be able to walk down the street. You're an
1: anti-American. Leave the country. You're not welcome here anymore. You're
4: anti American. You hate your country. Get out. Because
1: you were the bear so to tell um, And I
4: think you will
0: get what's coming. God willing. You guys hope the bear. You won't the sleeping
8: giant. We're
3: coming, my man.
8: We started against all enemies because of the clear and present danger posed by domestic extremists. I worry, though, that when we think about extremism, we sometimes picture shadowy fringe groups operating on the margins of our society. That's absolutely a thing, and my co-host, Chris Goldsmith, exposes these groups and their members like no one else does. But what is uniquely dangerous about the moment we're currently living in is not the presence of groups with violent anti-democratic agendas. We've actually always had those in this country. What's most frightening is the fact that expressions of violence have become normalized. The celebration of fascist behavior has become mainstream. If you've been watching against all enemies, you know that. We showed you a video from a Moms for Liberty convention where the speaker doubled down on quoting Hitler approvingly, and the crowd went crazy. This kind of behavior is incompatible with a diverse democratic society. It's why we are pushing back. Miles and I get into that in this excerpt from our conversation. We cover a lot more ground in the full interview on Burn the Boats, so please check that out as well. Thanks, everyone. Here's me and Miles. The thought that 80 million Americans or 70 million-plus Americans voted for Trump uh, the last time around is, is terrifying. And even the, the positive results in the last midterms, I don't think inspire a, a, a whole lot of confidence, still far too close for comfort. And you wrote this about Trumpism. We didn't snuff it out. Rather, we looked the other way as cinders lit the dry underbrush of our frank society and spread like wildfire. Right now, the winds favor the fanatics from a historically divided electorate to grim public attitudes about political violence. And that's what really scares me the most. This rhetoric, and not just rhetoric, but the activities of extremist organization fomenting, carrying out acts of political violence. Uh, we're, we're approaching very dangerous times reminiscent of the, the late 1850s.
1: Yeah, this is the type of thing that, you know, Ken, I always say this, if you told me 10 years ago, I was going to be talking about the prospect of a new American civil war, I would have said, you know, Miles hit his head one too many times. You know, what's wrong with that guy? But a lot of the folks that I spoke to for this book were using that type of language. You know, I'll I'll go back to Fiona Hill, who I mentioned earlier, who'd been a Trump advisor for much of the administration. Fiona used a term called soft secession. Her warning was that if Trump or a savvier successor won the White House, you would see the start of soft secession movements in the United States. In other words, red states and blue states increasing, increasingly separating themselves from the legal architecture that undergirds our democracy. Uh, and in and, and her view, when you go and study foreign civil wars and civil strife, That's usually the first indicator you see before something moves into more violent conflict is this period of soft secession. Her comment was, we're actually in it right now. But there was another Trump official who, in these conversations, said to me that he predicted uh, if Trump won, that there would be at least legal civil war in this country, if not actual violence. And his comment was, you know, it's not going to be battalions, you know, on an open field. It's going to be a different type of civil war, one that includes low level violence, political assassinations. Uh, and and civil strife in major U.S. cities. And that political assassination piece is the one that really worried me. You see this a lot uh, when you look back at history, that moments where a major leader is attacked or, God forbid, killed can spark uh, more widespread violence and light the dry underbrush of dissatisfaction in the political system. And right now, we're seeing the warning signs basically blinking red, as much as they've been since 9-11 on that front. So, you know, law enforcement officials told me they're seeing more chatter about threats to public servants than at any point since 9-11. We saw a tenfold increase in threats to elected leaders from the beginning of the Trump administration till the end of the Trump administration. But more fundamentally, Ken, Americans' attitudes towards political violence have surged the favorable way. Uh, I think NPR found that 25% of Americans have a favorable view of violence towards the government in certain circumstances, which was a high watermark. And then there was the famous University of Chicago survey last year that found one ah. in ten Americans believed ah. Donald Trump should be forcibly reinstalled in the White House. I don't Damn. care where your political stripes are. You have to look Fucking at that nuts.
3: data dispassionately nuts. and
1: say that that really is dry underbrush. It's ready to be lit on fire in the wrong
9: circumstances. You... you. New to Chewy? Spend $49 and we'll take off 20
4: Your pets love us and you will too. You use the
8: phrase and everyone uses it, red states and blue states, and that always makes me nervous when we are talking about civil war because it, it presumes the kind of possibility of a clean break that we saw in the 1860s. That just can't. Happen this time. It's it's a liberal conceit you often hear that oh we'll just write off the red states you know Texas can go its own way we'll see how they do without federal dollars. I, I think we need to dispense with that because there are good people in Texas fighting for progress, uh, and we're not going to have a clean break. Um, it's it's just not possible. And I know you don't believe that either because you. You introduced some really helpful framing like the digital Mason-Dixon line. Can you talk about these fractures in in a modern society, an integrated society like we have today?
1: Yeah, well, and I think a lot of Americans feel this viscerally because it's become so much more personal. I mean, it used to be that political conflicts were a thing that you could turn off on the news. But now, for really the first time in modern history, Americans feel – concerned about their own neighbors and are unwilling to go to bonfires and picnics where they're worried they'll run into someone of another political persuasion. I mean, I think we've all probably been guilty of it. We've all said it to a friend or a family member like, oh man, you know, those are MAGA people. We're not going to hang out with them. Or the opposite, you know, folks on that side of the aisle saying, you know, we're not going to hang out with those crazy libs. We're becoming much more divided at the household level Uh, And some of that also is shown in the data. I mean, if you look at political polarization in the United States, Mm. it's not so much about red states and blue states anymore. It's about zip codes. And there's really shocking data that shows red zip codes are getting redder and redder and blue ones bluer and bluer. So you have these little pockets right next Mm. to each other all over the United States where people are self-selecting into communities based on their political beliefs, and and, and this is the highest rate we've ever seen it since polling began in that space. So the phenomenon is really hyper-localized, and and that gets to some of the solutions here are not short-term solutions. They're long-term fixes, and, you know, I think this is another thing that people sense in their gut, and the data also backs up, and that is you can say roughly that 10 percent of the ideological...
0: Stop.
3: Let's
1: go home. Oh, shit. <clears throat> Logical extremes in the United States are making the decisions for the other ninety percent of us. And that's roughly validated when you go look at the fact that right now, uh, you know, only twenty percent of Americans approve of the job Congress is doing. Really, really, really low. But Congress has a 95% re-election rate. In other words, the average member of Congress overwhelmingly wins election when they run. So how can Americans Boring have such a low Congress. view of Congress? For their campaigns. Congress? But the majority get re-elected? And the reason is because most of those decisions about who wins races happen in the primaries. And in most states, you're not allowed to vote in the primaries unless you're a registered member of that party. Which means the ideological extremes go out pick the candidates in the primaries, and then the rest of us are left in the general election with people who are too extreme, and we have to pick the worst of two evils. That simple defect right now in our system has resulted in an increasingly polarized electorate and an increasingly polarized society, but the only way to fix that are long-term structural democracy reforms, and that will take decades.
0: Phone charging slowly. This is the fastest phone charger on the market.
7: There's a 90% chance your phone is... Hmm. That is
0: it.
9: bad news for Welcome, welcome, welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, your host. This is another great show. I say that every week, and every week it's a great show. Uh, I have a terrific guest. I think it's going to be a really fascinating discussion. Uh, As you guys know, I live in Missouri, a red state, very deeply red state, and I talk about a lot on how the red states are the laboratories of autocracy. Our our friend David uh, Pepper was on the show not a month ago. talked about. I think he's got a book name now. The laboratories of autocracy are these red states, these GOP, and I couldn't find a better guest to discuss that who also has to be running for governor which is really freaking cool so before i get to her i think we got a lot to talk about let's do some music and and have a show (laughs) All right, well, like I already said it once, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm still Fred Wellman. It's What's been like 30 seconds, but we're back. Uh, I I really have been having, it's a crazy news cycle, right? I mean, I, it, it is just a crazy news cycle right now with uh, lots of judicial things happening and electors getting charged and Trump being a target and, and you just name it. And, and then I got something to talk about up in Congress afterwards. But, you know, I've been reading a slew of analysis in the 2022 election with a pretty wide range of conclusions, depending on your read, from from oh, my God, both parties rely on older voters. The, the youth didn't save us. Uh, it really wasn't a record turnout. Oh, actually, it was a record turnout. And by the way, we still need swing voter. I mean, it, it, you know, it data, you know, you can do anything you want with data, and everybody's doing something they want with data. But the Washington Post came out with an interesting piece today from a Democratic strategist named Celinda Lake. She was a pollster for the Biden campaign, and she did a really interesting piece late today, uh, being Wednesday, about the growth of Generation Z, Gen Z, in the electorate. And she has some really fascinating numbers. Like she tells us that every year about 4 million Americans turn 18 right now and gain the right to vote. In the 18, the eight years between 2016 and 2024, that would be 32 million new eligible voters who just turned 18 since Donald Trump last had an election in 2016, or his first election in 2016. That's a big change. But what's really interesting is that at the same time every year, two and a half million older Americans die. So in the same eight years, that's as many as 12, 20 million fewer older voters. Which means between Trump's election in 2016 and the 2024 election coming up, the number of Gen Z uh, voters will have advanced by a net 52 million against older people. <laughs> That's a big number. Right. That's about 20% of the total cool. 2020 eligible electorate of 258 million Americans. So it's a growing generation. And these younger, these younger voters are turning 52. out. Comparing okay. the four federal elections since 2015, which is when the first time right. that Gen Zers could vote was 2015 and on. Um, But the preceding nine in in the Trump and post-Trump years, it's been a 25% higher turnout than older generations the same age before Trump. In other words, compared to older generations as they matured, this generation, Gen Z, is coming out much higher. 8 percent higher in presidential years and uh, 48% higher in midterms than previous generations. So interesting charts. If you're watching the show, you can see the charts. Matt will throw them up for you. Um, But assuming those not as drastic, there has been a 7% increase in voter registration from under 30 voters uh, since Gen Z entered elected. In other words, we're seeing more younger voters coming out, right? And, and that matters, it matters a lot because uh, it's a shifting dynamic. Look, both parties still have a plus 50 electorate, both parties, It's not. It's, it, it, if you think otherwise you're delusional. But it does make them important. They're not a deciding factor yet, but they're coming. And parties need to understand how to talk to this younger generation, how to talk where they are, and the issues that they care about. So I just found this whole thing fascinating, and it matters more and more as we look at the electorate, as we, we go to larger statewide elections and, and presidential elections, which is why it's a great time to have an actual candidate for statewide office for governor, and that is my friend Crystal Quaid. Representative Quaid, welcome to the show. She represents, Thank you for having me. Great to have you. She represents Missouri State House District 132, beautiful Greene County. been there a couple of times. I've had the pleasure to go to Springfield. Um, she has served as the Democratic floor leader for six years. Now, right? be I mean, since the day she entered office, she volunteered. This is a great story. We should get you how a, 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 a freshman representative ended up being the floor leader of the, the caucus, which is pretty remarkable. Now she's a candidate for governor, uh, which is really a great story. Uh, first member of her family that graduate from high school, and on her social work degree at Missouri State University has done great things. Crystal, man, I'm so glad to have you on the show. So you're 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 our second. A second, right, Matt? Second repeat customer? Yep, your second (laughs) repeat. You know, welcome back. Greg Sargent with the Washington Post. Uh, Crystal was on the old call-in show, and it was a complete train wreck, because that that app sucks. So, welcome back.
5: Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. And this is a great setup now.
9: Thank you. You're all good. Yeah, much better. yeah. You, you, know, you don't have to sit on the other side of the road talking to your phone. You know, you just had your kickoff last night, you know, and, and, and a lot of our listeners and, and viewers of the show are from across the country, live in blue states, right? And, and one of the things I talk about quite a bit, and I said in the intro, is You know, Missouri in a lot of ways and a lot of these red states, Tennessee, Iowa, others, are really a microcosm of what is going on in the Republican Party and the movement of the Republican Party towards more extremism. And I can't think of anybody who's had to witness it more than you for the last six years in Jefferson City, Missouri, uh, dealing with some of these really crazy things and and the increasing extremism. Um, And they're testing these ideas in Missouri. And so I just want to ask up front, you know, what's some of the most, I mean, this last time I had a lot of really draconian things that you were up against. What's some of the most extremist thing you're seeing? being floated right here in Missouri
5: yeah you know it, it's been really interesting I, I've been there for seven years and each year it truly has gotten more extreme and more ridiculous frankly um, to narrow it down to one you know I would have to say watching the state senators say that 12 um, year olds should be allowed to be married off by their parents legally um, that was the fight this year. Um, you know, we had a, a movement within the Republican Party to completely defund all of our public libraries in the state, which okay. was wild. Um, you know, <laughs> there's just there's been so many. <laughs>
3: yeah, and, and
9: and these are all part of the larger battles they're fighting last year, right? With Moss Relief, and his others, with the book bans, with the, the transgender hate, the, and all these different. Those are and they're and they're coming into seeing these real extremists who are running unopposed, right? A lot of them. You know, one of the reasons for so the reason I I of course no, Course, the reason I've, I got know each other is I was told, hey, when you got to meet her when I moved here? <laughs> then, hey, how are you going to meet her first away? The and then I was very impressed from the first time we sat down with your very clear-eyed understanding that the way to take back Missouri and take back the House of Delegates and House of Representatives was running people everywhere. Now, tell, you a lot, tell our folks, so, we talk about that a lot here in the show. I'm involved with the kind Democrats. Obviously, the... Um, But you've been doing it from the beginning, and what was the the impetus for that, and and why do you want to see, what what are you doing to make that happen?
5: Yeah, so um, to your point, we have had so many folks in Missouri, Republicans run unopposed uh, for far too long, you know, upwards of over 60 of the 163 representatives just walk in the door and um you know that's been in my mind part of the one of the biggest reasons why we democrats have lost any power in our state house is because we haven't been challenging anyone and you know when you are in a small town uh, in missouri you might be a democrat you know we have a lot of rural democrats in our state but you go to the ballot box and there's no democrat to vote for then you're going to go for that maybe you Stupid met at the gas station democrats, where your kids play football together um, breaks, and then the next election us. year you're going to vote for that guy and then maybe a different Republican because the, um, the first one wasn't so bad, and then like before you know it, you're voting straight to get Republican because there are no other options, and we're seeing that across the entire state, and because we don't have Democrats everywhere, um, it's impacting our statewide elections, it's impacting everything that we're doing
9: yeah, yeah. and how have you addressed that what, what, what's been your strategy? Uh, I know you, 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 you so people don't know like, what did you build you put together a pretty good idea, campaign plan. What are you guys doing at hey,
0: Democrats? the Democrats Run half women candidate Christopher for prize, Trump for prison.
9: as the minority leader to fight that back
3: yeah so um the house democratic campaign committee is the election
5: arm for the house democrats republicans have a counterpart and of course our senators do as well and we really try to look at this in multi-layers like by the way is-
9: just so you know cats are welcome <laughs> have for those listening <laughs> Crystal, Crystal's a cat <laughs> so don't worry about it right. <laughs> i just wanted um, to cut in there cats are always welcome but go ahead <laughs> so you, you have the house the HTCC <laughs>
5: you know yes um so so we're looking at this in in several layers. One is, as you mentioned, having folks running everywhere. But it's not just about getting Democrats to say yes to putting their name on the ballot. It's also supporting them when they do. You know, for too long in our state folks would ask people to run and they would run in an unwinnable district, a place that we cannot win based on the current numbers. And then they would just be like, okay, thanks, bye. And then you would have these Democrats run and have no idea how to run a race and just get trampled. And a big piece of this is having folks run in unwinnable districts, giving them the tools they need to run successful campaigns and closing the margins. When I ask candidates to run in districts that are are strong red, it's not just, hey, do it for this one race. It's, I'm going to need you to run twice. I'm going to need you to run a four-year campaign, and this is what it's going to look like. Your goalpost is not necessarily to flip that seat, but it's to move the margin up to this percentage point. And having real honest conversations with folks in these areas and then making sure that they're supported every step of the way giving them things like websites and mail design and things that they shouldn't have to pay for themselves um, and supporting them in that way. And then, of course, going all in financially in the, in the seats that we can win, which there are several that are that are winnable districts and putting our energy behind those. And, you know, Green County, where I live, is the best example that I can give for how we've been working as the House caucus. When I first ran, I was the only Democratic seat south of Columbia and in the whole state. For folks outside Missouri, that's half of the entire state that's uh, basically uh, half. <laughs> by, by Republicans, and we had my seat. And what we did, we have five seats in our county, and we put, put all of our energy in, okay, we've got to hold my seat, and then what is the next winnable seat, and putting our resources there. But having candidates run in all of those seats and working as a team, but putting our volunteer energy and our door knocking energy between the next winnable seat. We won that one. Okay, now we've got to hold these two, now we put our energy behind the third, we won the third. Now we're going to pick up our fourth seat next election cycle. And it's really a being about it's about being strategic in where our resources are going, but also not forgetting the places that we think we can't win.
9: I love it, and, and and it's something I I talk about a lot. David Pepper mentioned it doing that in Ohio. I mean, it, it you know it's funny when we had these conversations uh, with folks. I always talk about the ink spot strategy we used in counterinsurgency, which people is controversial. But the concept simply was: is you you take a you you, you, you secure a place, uh, you bring in governance, you run it well, and then you grow it right, and you and connect the next force, and then you grow that and as the ink spot grows, you end up taking over. Either the whole country or in this case, trying to take our state back and make it blue again. And, and in many ways, like you, we, I, th- I think we had this conversation over coffee. But the first time we met it was like, this is what I like. It's a, it, it really is a counterinsurgency strategy you're running uh, to, in electoral politics to try and take back places and then and then do it. And the thing is, too, I think you said it right, too, is it's also about good governance afterwards, which takes us to you mm-hmm. trying to run a, a super minority. I mean, m- Missouri is a super minor majority, like geo